Well, good morning. <clears throat> um, first, I want to say thank you uh, to all of you who have been who are praying for uh, the DR missions trip. Uh, we had just a, a just a wonderful trip. It was just a, a great trip. Um, and, and we're going to set aside uh, some time to give you an update on, on on the trip, and we'll provide you some details on some slides, and you'll hear from members of the team. But for now. I, I do want to just say this, that, and I've said this before, that the missions and evangelism are not themselves a, a goal or the goals of our church. These are means by which we bring glory to God. And these are means by which we reflect God's glory to other people. And I could say that on this mission trip, um, I got to, I was privileged to witness and the, all of the members of our team and all of the people in our partner church, them bringing glory to God and reflecting God's love to other people. And so it was a tremendous blessing. And we just sang about how beautiful God's glory is. And I got to experience many beautiful moments of God's glory on this trip. And so that's a teaser for the... For the uh, for the date that we actually talk about the missions trip. Okay. Um, well, today, though, um, it's an honor, it's a privilege to be here to open the Word of God, to study the Word of God with you on this last Sunday of Scott's sabbatical. And before we do that, let's go to the Lord and ask for His guidance, instruction, and help. So let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your holy revelation to us. We thank you that you've empowered the gospel, your word, to save our souls, transform our spirits and our lives. And we ask, ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would instruct us this morning, that you would guide us, that you would convict us as we open and study your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In the book of Galatians and in Romans, Paul uh, instructs new believers on how they should live now that they are Christians. And he makes this distinction between living by the flesh and living by the Spirit. And he instructs the new believers to live by the power and guidance of the Spirit and not by the desires of the flesh. And so to unpack what Paul would have us learn about living by the flesh versus living by the Spirit, I want to focus on Galatians 5. 16 through 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will, not, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. All right. Now, Paul makes three points in this passage that, are, that will serve as an outline for us. First, there are two opposing forces living within each believer, the flesh and the spirit. Second, the Christian life is characterized as one of an internal or personal civil war between these two enemy forces. The flesh and the spirit oppose one another and they fight for control over your life. And third, Paul tells us how we can have victory over the flesh in this spiritual warfare. All right, so first, two opposing forces, the flesh and the spirit. Now, before we talk about the flesh and the spirit, we need to use our imaginations for just a moment so that I could set up a metaphor. So I'd like, if you would, to close your eyes and think, imagine, think of yourself, conjure up in your uh, mind a picture of you riding a big, powerful, strong horse. All right, so are you conjuring? I, I do have a picture that I'd like to show that can help you with. Some of you need some, may need some help. <laughs> I've got a picture. This, this is a picture of me on Ramon's horse in Nicaragua. Ramon's horse is actually a donkey. Uh, and this is the, the only picture of, of me on a horse I had on my computer. And I will say that horse looked a lot bigger, that donkey looked a lot bigger on my computer than it does on the screen in front of me. In your mental picture, your horse is much bigger, stronger, more powerful than Ramon's miniature donkey. All right, so there are, there are two parts to your mental picture. There's the horse and there's the rider. All right. Now, with imaginations engaged, the flesh. The flesh in Paul's writings refers to the corrupt, sinful nature that we inherited from our first parents, Adam and Eve, after the fall. The flesh is like a big, powerful horse in your mental image. The horse in us lives according to the law of sin. And what I mean by that is relentlessly, tirelessly pursues immediate gratification of our desires, our impulses, our cravings, our ambitions. The horse of our flesh wants to set up the self as the thing that we love and pursue above all other things in our lives. The horse of our flesh always leads us in one direction, to sin, followed by misery, and ultimately death for those who are not redeemed by Jesus Christ. Remember that the force of our flesh takes us in one direction, always takes us in one direction and only takes us in one direction to sin, followed by misery and ultimately death. Now to fill out this picture of the horse that is our flesh, I want you to visualize this experience I had horseback riding. All right, so I'm on this lazy, sleepy horse that's you know, meandering through this trail. It's about an 18-inch trail. It never gets to the left or to the right even a little bit. It's walking very slowly. It's rather underwhelming, in fact. Um, and then something, all of a sudden, it, something changes. We get close to the barn, and out of nowhere, this horse 
bolts as fast as it can straight for the barn. I'm scared to death. I'm holding on. I'm pulling the reins. I'm yelling, whoa, big fella, whoa. <laughs> Something triggered that horse's food antenna. And when that drive was awakened, I, was, I had no control. I had no control over the horse. There was nothing I could do. Okay, well, that's how I see the flesh. The flesh is that big, powerful horse. You know, sometimes we're ambling along through life, and everything is fine. And we've got our spiritual acts together, right? And then something triggers that, that flesh, and we go off on some sin. Well, have you ever surprised yourself with some sin? Something that you said or done? I mean, have you ever had this experience like, why did I just say that? I can't believe I just did that. Am I the only one? I'm not getting no head nods. Am I the only one? Why did I just, or I can't, how did I lose my temper so quickly in that situation? Or how come I keep doing this? Okay. Well, the answer is because the flesh is a big, powerful horse that sometimes wakes up and bolts to the barn. All right. So the flesh is the horse in our mental imagery. <coughs> Excuse me. The spirit is like the rider of the horse. <coughs> the rider, our spirit, is our soul. It's our conscience. The rider is that part of us that makes moral choices. The rider in us has knowledge of God's law and chooses to obey or disobey it. The rider is that part of us as human beings that chose to disobey God in the Garden of Eden and con has continued to do so ever since. Now, before we came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, we were living according to the flesh. As riders, we had let go of the reins of our lives, and we let the horse of our flesh have control. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, Paul gives us a picture of what we look like when the horse of our flesh was in control of our lives. And let me read Ephesians, that passage in Ephesians. Okay. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, and here it is, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The headline in this passage is that when the horse of our flesh had control of our lives, we were dead in our sin. The rider in us, our spirit, our soul, was dead in our sin. Well, the purpose of the gospel then is to awaken the rider to the rider in us to spiritual life. To awaken the rider from spiritual death to life. Through the gospel, the Holy Spirit bears witness to our spirit that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that apart from Jesus, we are slaves to the horse of our flesh and we stand dead in our sins. In Christ, though, we have freedom from the power and the bondage of sin. When we receive that free, unmerited gift of salvation, 
the rider in us is transformed, raised to life by the Holy Spirit of God. We now have a new spirit, a new identity. We are indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God. As Paul says in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He is indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God. So Paul's second point in the Galatians passage is that the moment we're saved, the moment we're indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God, we enter into a civil war, a personal internal civil war. Paul says the spirit opposes the flesh and the flesh opposes the spirit. When the Holy Spirit transforms us, we, that is the rider in us, no longer want to give the horse of our flesh the reins of our lives. Instead, we desire to live by the Holy Spirit of God. But the me-seeking flesh does not go away. The me-seeking flesh does not uh, shrink, doesn't become a, a tame little pony Right, that does only what the rider wants it to. Right? We are saddled with that powerful, unbroken horse of our flesh for as long as we live on this side of heaven. That's part of our spiritual DNA. In fact, this is one of the things we look forward to about getting to heaven. It's worshiping the Lord right? with, without being tethered to the corrupt, sinful nature that is our flesh. Now, to make matters worse, the devil knows our horse. The devil knows our horse. He knows our rider, too. The devil knows just the right carrot to put in front of our horse to make him bolt for the barn. And the devil knows just what to say to get the rider in us to let go of the reins and give in to the flesh. In a sermon I heard a few years ago by Timothy Keller, he addressed several lies that the devil uses to coax the rider in us to let go of the reins. For instance, the devil will show you the bait and hide the hook. He'll get the rider in you to focus on the short-term pleasures or benefits of sin, but he hides from you right, the long-term misery of it. Anybody familiar with that? A little hot under the collar? Yes, I'm familiar with that. Or is he, oh, and this is interesting. Has he ever gotten you to argue against the convictions of the Holy Spirit? All right, the Holy Spirit is convicting you. Maybe it's about your greed or your bad temper. And then all of a sudden, it's like this, this lawyer shows up in your mind and begins arguing on behalf of your flesh, defending some sin. In fact, rationalizing some sin is a virtue. Oh, I'm not greedy. Whoa, whoa, not greedy. I'm thrifty. In fact, I'm a good steward. Oh, I don't have a bad temper. Don't have a bad temper. I'm passionate. I don't have a drinking problem. I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm a social drinker. There's a difference. We begin kind of negotiating, arguing with the convictions of the Holy Spirit. So, now we've got two metaphors. Your flesh is a horse, yes, and your horse has a defense attorney on retainer that, <laughs> that defends 
that defends all of its sins and justifies and rationalizes its sins. Oh, have you ever let go of the reins? Because the devil had gotten you to overstress the mercy of God. I'm, I'm under grace. Well, we're under grace now. Not under law, we're under grace. Under grace, that means God forgives. That's what he does. God forgives. So, you ever, oh, that's, that's a tough one. And Paul warns against that many times. The point that Paul wants us to get is this. That when we become a Christian, we begin a life of spiritual warfare. Between the rider in us who desires to live according to the Spirit of God versus the horse of our flesh that can only live according to the law of sin. And there's a third combatant, the devil. The devil plays two roles in this spiritual warfare, as I see it. He schemes to empower the horse of our flesh. Schemes to empower, embolden, inflame the horse of our flesh. He wants to transform Ramon's donkey into a Clydesdale. And he, second, he coaxes the rider in us, and this is critical, he coaxes the rider in us to choose the flesh over the Spirit of God, to choose sin over righteousness. Now, Paul describes this warfare in Romans 7, 14 through 19. And in this passage, I see a picture of an exasperated Paul fighting to control this runaway horse of his flesh. <coughs> it's empowered by the devil and it's taken him where he doesn't want to go. First to sin, followed by misery, and finally death. Listen to Paul's words. <coughs> Excuse me. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. But, the, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do not, excuse me, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law and that's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And then in verse 24 and 5, he says, Wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from the powerful pull of the flesh? Thanks be to God, Paul says, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay. So I, again, I get a picture of Paul wrestling hard with this horse of his flesh that's empowered by the devil that's taken him to sin, to misery, and death. And he's having a hard time controlling it. So Paul wants us to, now that we know the combatants in our internal civil war, Paul wants us to know how we can have victory over the flesh and the devil in the spiritual war. First, number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. First, by, how do we have victory over the flesh? Number one, by Christ Jesus, we need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
Number one, by Christ Jesus, we need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. There is no victory over the flesh apart from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. It's a prerequisite to victory over the flesh and the spiritual war for the flesh and the devil. Second, we have to plug into the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to plug into the power of the Holy Spirit. But as Paul says in verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. <clears throat> well, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Walking by the Spirit means abiding in Jesus Christ moment by moment throughout each day. Intentionally pursuing God in everything we do. Continuously asking, am I at this moment, right now in my thoughts and my actions, honoring God? The Holy Spirit empowers us to live like this. So each day, minute by minute, we've got to plug into the power of the Holy Spirit and not ignore it or not disconnect from it. You see, when we as believers disconnect from the power of the Holy Spirit, oh, thank you. All right. What were we talking about? <laughs> Plug it in. All right. Am I right now in my thoughts and actions honoring God? That's what it means to walk in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, like I said, empowers us to live like this. And as believers, when we disconnect from the power of the Holy Spirit, we put ourselves in peril. Listen to this. We put ourselves in peril because... The rider in us cannot stand alone for a second against the schemes of the devil and the powerful pull of your flesh. To walk by the Spirit, then, is to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. When we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, He leads, we follow. He speaks, we listen. We heed his warnings and we obey his directions. Okay. Well, you might be thinking, well, that all sounds abstract. I mean, what, how, can I, what's, how do I know if I'm actually walking in the Spirit, if I'm living by the Spirit? Well, as Christians, we need to continually ask ourselves, who seems to have the reins of my life, the horse of my flesh, or the Holy Spirit of God? Who is in control? Of my life. Now, uh, it, verses 19 through 21 tells us what our life will look like if we are living by the flesh. Now, the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned before. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right, so take an honest look at your life. All of your thoughts, your, your relationships, your entertainment, your work, everything. Lay it all on the table and examine it. To the extent that, you, that across these many facets of your life, you see evidence of these works of the flesh, it's an indication that you're not walking by the Spirit, but rather by the flesh. 
It's an indication that you're living a self-centered life rather than a God-centered and other-centered life. It's an indication that you're giving the horse of your flesh too much control. Okay? To the extent that you see those works of the flesh. Now, Paul warns us at the end of verse 21, if you've done on the screen, but at the end of 21, he says, those who do such things, that is, those who live according to the flesh and make a practice of doing such things, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Well, what does he mean by that? I have to say, that, that took me a little bit of work. I read a number of commentaries and came to some clarity through some commentaries I trust. Paul is not saying, listen to this, Paul is not saying that we lose our salvation if we struggle with the flesh or lapse into some of these sins of the flesh. Listen, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, we become children of God. And our adoption into the family of God is not conditional upon our good behavior. It's not conditional upon our goodness. Our adoption in the family of God was purchased by Jesus' death on the cross. And we cannot undo what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Simply because we struggle with the flesh in some area of our lives. Romans 8 tells us we don't have that kind of power. Romans 8 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. But what Paul is saying is the people whose lives are characterized pervasively by these expressions of the sinful nature demonstrate that they are content to let the horse of their flesh have control of their lives. And a person who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God would not be content with that. Okay? And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13.5, Examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves, he says, for evidence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life. Well, what kinds of things would demonstrate the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? When we are living by the Holy Spirit, he works out the love of God in our lives. Our lives are characterized not by a focus on me, but a focus on A, loving and serving God, and B, loving and serving one another. And so, when we're walking in step with the Holy Spirit, we should see God-centered and other-centered virtues in our lives, like those in verses 22 and 23. Are those available up there? Let me read them as they're working. But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. All right, so as we examine ourselves, we need to ask. Remember, these, all of those virtues are God-centered and other-centered virtues. So we need to ask, is my love for God greater than my love for all other things? Do I love other people? Am I finding joy and peace in being a child of God? Am I patient toward other people in my life? 
What about people that disagree with me? What about people that have a different political affiliation from me? Am I patient with other people in my life? Do I show others kindness and goodness? Am I faithful in my commitment to following God? Am I faithful in my relationships with others? Am I gentle in the way that I treat other people? Finally, do I exercise self-control over the horse of my flesh, handing over the reins of my life to God on a daily basis? Well, do those things characterize my life? Insofar as they do, I am walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Listen, when we find works of the flesh in our lives after careful, thorough examination, and we find some holes where the fruits of the Spirit should be, that means we've got some work to do. Paul tells us that we've got to put to death the deeds of the flesh. If you've got deeds of the flesh going on in your life, you've got some holes where the fruits of the Spirit should be, you've got work to do. You've got to put to death the deeds of the flesh. We have to train the rider to take the reins of our lives from the horse and surrender them to the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we do that? How do we walk by the Spirit? How do we um, take the reins of our lives from the horse and give them over to the Holy Spirit? Well, we deliberately and repeatedly, intentionally set the rider in us to gospel mode. Set the rider in us to gospel mode. When you're in gospel mode, you're connecting to the power of the Holy Spirit, to abide in Christ, and to live by the Holy Spirit of God and not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, I want to mention three practical applications to help you tune your spirit to gospel mode to live by the Spirit. First, feed on spiritual food. Feed on spiritual food by reading, studying, and obeying God's Word. The spiritual food, this is reading, studying, obeying God's Word. Number one. And then related to that, still number one, cultivate God and other-centered habits of prayer, fellowship, being around, hanging around Christian brothers and sisters, people that can mentor you, people that you can serve as a mentor. Church attendance, evangelism, and serving others. Habits like these will help us plug into the power of the Holy Spirit to control and guide our lives. Second, whenever your mind is not occupied with the duties of the day, put away your go-to distractions and focus your thoughts on God. Focus your thoughts on the things of God. When I was in Israel, uh, there was a fellow on the team. This, we had a team of 39 that was you know, traveling around together. And this one fellow, he set an alarm uh, for different times of the day. The alarm would go off, and he would pray a scripture. He would pray the scripture, he'd meditate on it, he'd think about it, share it with somebody. So, for example, at 3.16 in the afternoon... What do you think he prayed? <coughs> you can answer that. Yeah, John 3.16, exactly. So he prayed John 3.16. He'd think about it, meditate on it, and he'd talk to somebody about it. 
and then something else. And he said, but he would do this throughout the day. I thought that was an awesome way to stay con to, to tune his spirit to gospel mode, thinking of God, thinking of the things of God. And I'll say this, um, uh, Jackie Moore, uh, years ago, uh, told me something that stuck with me. She would listen to Christian music and in part because uh, the, the praises of God would become background thoughts as she went about her day. And there'd be background thoughts in her mind throughout the day. There was the voices in the back of her mind, as it were. Have you ever gotten a song stuck in your head throughout the day? I mean, I get that all the time. Well, what if that thing that's stuck in your head were praises of God? All right, that's how, habits like these, right, will help us plug into the power of the Holy Spirit to control and guide our lives. Okay, third, don't feed the horse. Don't feed the horse. That's all right, I think it says don't give the flesh a foothold. Now, when you see that, scratch that out and say don't feed the horse. Look, to subdue the horse, that is to crucify the flesh, we can't even think about gratifying the desires of the flesh. I mean, don't give the devil or the flesh the foothold of even a passing thought. So enlist the Holy Spirit's power to help you with this. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide your thoughts, to take control of your thoughts, to take control of your behaviors. And you do this on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis. <laughs> there it is. Way to go. Yes, don't feed the horse. All right, so the overarching point is that the strength, listen to this. The overarching point is that the strength of our spirit's, al our spirit's alignment with the Holy Spirit is directly related to what we focus on moment by moment throughout each day. The more we set our rider to gospel mode, and focus on the things of God, the more we will desire what God desires. The more we will live according to the Holy Spirit, the more we will live in step with the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're called to do as Christians. The more we set the rider in us to world mode, and that means indulging the naggings of our horse, the stronger the horse of our flesh becomes, and the more we will live and be ruled by the flesh. If we don't deliberately and persistently set our minds to gospel mode, the devil and the horse of our flesh will take us for a ride to sin, misery, and ultimately death without the redemption of Jesus Christ. All right. So, in closing, Paul teaches us <clears throat> that there exists within you a personal civil war waged between two enemy forces, the flesh and the spirit, and they're fighting for control over your lives, over your eternal soul. Now, if you are born again, you are not a slave to the flesh and the sin it produces. You have freedom from the bondage of the flesh and its sin. And you have freedom to make a choice every day. You can choose to live by the Holy Spirit that indwells you 
Or you can choose to live by the old sinful nature that used to enslave you. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit this morning. I believe he's calling us to make a renewed commitment to put to death the deeds of the flesh and to live by the Spirit. He's calling us to take the reins of our lives from the horse of our flesh and surrender them to the Holy Spirit. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you would send your son to die for us while we were yet sinners. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that you sent to indwell us, to guide us according to your will, and to empower us to have victory over our sinful nature. I ask that you would renew in us a desire to abide in you, and renew in us a desire to walk by your Spirit, Lord. Renew in us, Lord, just an awe of you and an excitement with you and a love for you that would just make us want to cling to you. And we just ask these things in your holy name. And Father, also we ask that you would uh, and convict us in the ways that we need to be convicted, where we find holes in our lives where the where fruits of the Spirit should be, where we find too much of the works of, this, of the flesh in our lives. We ask that you would help us to deal with that with you this morning, that we would bring all of that to you this morning, that we would lay it out before you, and that we would enlist your guidance to help us, Lord. Help us put to death the deeds of the flesh and live by the Holy Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen.